I think there was a report maybe last year that said 70% of the income that creators are making are through brand sponsorships. Mm. I think if we fast forward two or three years time, I think it might be 50-50. The interesting thing is I think the 50 from brand partnerships will still be bigger in like monetary size than the 70% is now. And I just think there are going to be all these other things that are opportunities, which are really what we're talking about. Creators building stuff and opportunities directly with their audience across more platforms. Welcome to the Full-Time Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Tina Lee, and I'll be sharing industry knowledge and social media tips through weekly interviews with established creators and Q&A sessions. Our goal is to help you decode social media, become a full-time influencer, and do what you love for a living. Let's dive in. Today, we have a very special guest. Neil is the co-founder of Whaler, one of the biggest influencer marketing agencies. Um, It's actually one of the agencies that I've heard of since the very beginning. And I actually still get emails from Whaler to submit for various campaigns and so on. So I'm super excited to have Neil on today to chat about everything that's going on in the industry. Thank you, Neil, for coming and being here. Um, first, I would love to just get like a two, three sentence self-introduction. Yeah, of course. Well, look, thank you for very much for having me on and also for your early support of us and following the journey and all the great work that you've done uh, as well. I'm honored to uh, to be on the podcast. So yeah, I'm Neil. I'm the one of the co-founders uh, of, of Whaler. As you may be guessing from the accent, I'm from the United Kingdom, but I actually live in sunny Los Angeles uh, mm-hmm. now, which is always great. Um, fun and yeah we created Whaler out of having our own consumer brands and working with influencers and creators and going hmm, maybe there's a better way uh, that this can be done so Whaler was started uh, six years ago now but have been working in the creator space for probably about 12 years in total mm-hmm. so since the early days. Wow. So how did you actually get started working in the creator space? It sounds like it was before this entire thing even blew up. Yeah. And it's funny, it's looking back on it now, realize the touch points that we had. So actually in the very earliest instances, this is probably going back to 2008, we had an online travel publishing business and we ran a competition called the biggest, baddest bucket list. And the competition was people were entering by submitting a two-minute YouTube video that they created where they were being a travel guide to the local town that they lived in and showing people the the specialist places that locals would know. And then the winners of the competition, we sent around the world on a six-month, all-expenses-paid trip to, I think, 18 different destinations in six months. And so, you know, that was in the really early stages of people creating and publishing content. Um, online. And then fast forward from there, we had a consumer brand, a watch brand, and we were working with creators there to help reach culture, to help spread awareness for the brand. But actually also it was the creativity that was coming back. And we were using the work in our ads and we were using it as inspiration for what new products we could make. And so we were using it there as well. And then we ended up creating Whaler as a like, hey, how could we streamline and make it easier for for everybody not just us as the the customer if you will but also for creators in working in this space 
I see. And Whaler doesn't just do influencer marketing in terms of connecting brands with influencers. You also have talent management, right? Is that something that came later on because you were already accessing a pool of creators? Funnily enough, you know, one of the most important lessons I have in any business is like listening to your customers. Yes, have your own ideas, but really listen. And it was the community that we're working with saying, could do you think maybe you could like help us on all the other work we do, not just the work we're doing with you, because we like the way that we get to work with you, but uh, we have all these other needs and everything. And so we created the business uh, at the request of them and really like listen to understand, you know, what, what did they need that wasn't being served um, in, in other ways? And I think that's always uh, uh, an important lesson for anyone is like really trying to listen to the to the customer and, and work from there. So I guess you must have a lot of insight into the industry and how it has really changed over the years. And I would love to dive into that a little bit. Um, in the beginning, you mentioned YouTube. Was that the main focus or are there any platforms that Whaler started with and then I bet eventually branched out into all platforms? As I think about the the kind of the community that we're in, the creator, which is the creator economy now. So first of all, there's that journey of it being influencer marketing and now the creator economy because it's come so big. But I think if I look back, it probably all started with bloggers. And really, the you know the creators today are the modern day bloggers, and plenty still blog, yes. but it's become multi-platform, right? And so, you know, I think the way that I tend to view the creator community is they're all publishers. Everyone's a publisher, and you know they might publish on one channel or multiple channels, but it's publishing and storytelling um, at its heart. And so, I think the the first incidents in the industry really was blogging. Then YouTube came along, and and Twitter, and now obviously all of the platforms. And so we've kind of run through all of them uh, now, and obviously now we're exploring Be Real, uh, mm. as well as kind of the next one that feels like it's got some really interesting momentum. Um, yes. behind it as well. I'm very curious about Be Real. How is Waylar working with creators on Be Real? I haven't actually heard of any marketing campaigns around that yet. No, it's really early. Um, yeah. So I think it's just watching it, you know, be curious, uh, be testing it. And obviously already we're seeing the other platforms uh, mimic some of the, the use cases yes. um, of it. But no, as, as of yet, there are no sort of uh, specific advertorial um, channels through through Be Real, but the, mm. the users numbers are up there. There's a big debate as to you know whether it will be yes. a fad or or, yes. or or a platform. And I think the the key determiner actually is you know nowadays can creators monetize it and make money because yes. at the end of the day, if you go back to publishing, everybody needs to make an income from doing the yeah. work of publishing. And so if Be Real doesn't find a way to help creators make an income then I don't think it will go anywhere because maybe now people are going on it and going, well, this is an early opportunity. It's fun as well. It's different. Um, and so they're willing to invest the time thinking, you know, hey, if I'm early to this and it blows up, it could be great. But if the right monetization model isn't there, then I think that will drop off quite quickly as well. Speaking of platforms, I would really love to get your opinion on sort of where the future of all the various platforms is going since you mentioned Be Real. And you mentioned that Whaler started with blogging. Do you feel like blogging will still be very much relevant in say three or five years time? Like we have seen a, probably a decrease in people starting blogs, but does that actually mean that it won't be as relevant in a few years time? That's a really good question. And I'm just trying to think before I rush to answer because my, my initial response is, no, I think it will be just as relevant. And I, I actually 
don't necessarily believe that it's any less relevant now than it was before. I think being a blogger comes with a writing skill set. You know, you have to be a good writer and a storyteller through a written format. And not everybody has that skill set in the same way that just because you're a great blogger, you might not be great at doing quick video sketches. So blogging, I think we're seeing a lot of people get into email newsletters and email marketing to their audience and stuff like that. So I not only think that blogging will still be an important format in three to five years, I think it will still be important in 20 to 100 years. You know, yeah. it's, 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 there's an audience that consumes in that written format. And yeah. it's just that is not a skill set everybody has. And, and that's okay as well. It's just there are now more opportunities to have creative outlets and publish on different platforms. And so I think it is, you know, as a creator, it's it's not worrying that you're not everywhere. It's picking the ones that you feel particularly proficient in. And I think the interesting thing is you can bring in, as creators grow, people and skill sets to your team that help you branch out your mindset, your point of view on the world, your creative thought process into new channels by bringing in people that can help you uh, have the expertise of doing those channels. Yes, yes, totally. I still know quite a few um, influencer friends who are mainly on Instagram, but they still have very powerful blogs that are, are they are constantly monetizing and getting paychecks from. So that's definitely not something that is going away anytime soon. And I think we may see it progress, as I say. I think yeah. we might see it progress to email marketing and newsletters mm-hmm. and creators finding the different places to reach their audiences as long as the audiences are willing to be um, reached there as well. And I think that goes with uh, creators becoming multi-platform in order to have you know, less reliance on one algorithm changing and yes. landing you in trouble and having more points of direct communication with your audience. Yeah, that's actually a great point. Um, you mentioned the algorithms changing and email newsletters. This is something that I have been leaning into more heavily in the last two years only, and I've been doing this for about six years now. And I think a lot of people don't have a blog or don't have an email newsletter list. Um, they just rely on these platforms where technically it is rented land. And I got this question the other day how important do you think it is for creators to either have their own domain or own their own email newsletter is that going to play a bigger part in sort of a creator's online world do you think going forward first of all it's it's true that on the platforms it's rented land and you know that inevitably comes with some challenge but obviously if we carry on with the land analogy that land is rented in a very high trafficked shopping mall and so you know having your own land that isn't in the mall that gets little footfall is not going to be valuable as renting land in a mall that has a huge amount of footfall and so I, i don't necessarily see a problem that it's rented land and even if someone is only focusing on that at first but i do think yes over time there's going to be a benefit to developing and buying some of your own land and being across it all and i think again that comes with as creators grow i think there was a study by patreon earlier this year or last year and 89 percent of the people surveyed of the creators surveyed said their number one priority in the next 12 months was hiring a team member obviously having your own land is great and it is going to become important but uh, i think there shouldn't be such a worry over the rented land because it's missing the point that it's in a high traffic mall and that is one of the biggest benefits that the platforms bring and yes the algorithm can change the footfall that passes past your store 
but yeah. you're still in a high traffic mall and then use that to your advantage to move people to different platforms and different parts of land um, that you have. Yes, yes. I actually very much agree with that statement. I think every year that um, I have been in this industry, there's always been talk of things going away or it being doomsday the next day and everyone speaks about how it's all going to go away or reach drops and therefore you have no career. And there is this constant fear, I feel, as a creator that perhaps this isn't super stable because of this whole ranted land concept and this concept of algorithms not being stable but what i have seen is it's the industry is actually just getting bigger getting stronger but perhaps there's going to be more of a middle class in the creator economy versus like a m-shaped society where you have the top creators and then everyone else is sort of trying to get up there and so we might see more of this middle class and still all on this rented land and this ecosystem where people can get traffic um, on these various platforms? There's two things that come to mind. One is that I sort of told someone the other day, it's sort of like the story of the internet. There used to be very few websites. Now there's lots more websites. It doesn't mean the few websites before did better because there's also more consumers spending more time mm -hmm. and spending more money and sort of like, you know, the, there was a thing about creator inflation. As more creators come to the industry, does that yes. make it tougher for creators to make money? I think it makes it tougher to di differentiate obviously, but I don't think it makes it necessarily tougher to make money because I think there's more people spending more time on their devices and following creators. I think yes. the other point that's interesting though, and I actually had an email today from a newsletter that I follow, and the email in the email, it said, right, this quarter, you now need to click this button to tell us that you're actually reading these emails to stay automatically subscribed to the newsletter. Now imagine that, that they're actually saying like, hey, if you're not reading this, you don't click this, we're going to take you off our email list. Yeah. Most people would think that's, that's madness. It's reducing the amount, but actually it's like, they want to know who truly follows them, who truly engages with their content. And then that smaller, more engaged community is more valuable than a larger, less engaged one. So I, I think that's a good thesis for creators as well to not worry about total numbers, build a small and powerful community. And you, those are the building blocks to going from, um, yes. from, from that place. You know, they say in all product design, get 10 users to love you. And that's a great place to then launch and go further than straight away trying to get a thousand. And with creators, they say you only need a thousand true fans. If each of them pay you a hundred dollars a year, that is a hundred thousand dollars in income. So it's a very, very viable um, way to build a career. So definitely. Um, I know that you have seen a lot of creators come to into this space. And I know this is always a concern, kind of like what you said. Everyone's asking, like, is it too saturated? It will become harder to differentiate the um, newcomers. So are there any suggestions that you have or tips that you can share that you have seen help certain creators differentiate themselves? I, I, I think the sort of standard answer is, make sure you're doing something that you're passionate about and you have a strong point of view on um, because otherwise it's sort of, you know, everything gets weakened in the noise. And then, you know, it's important to have your North Star that you can always question your decisions of what you put out there and what actions you take against that North Star, um, I, I think is, is super important. I think the other point is that sometimes people forget that it's not just about being a publisher, it's about building a community. And so yes. it's not a one-way voice. It's about 
going and responding to others and engaging with others, like build a strong community. And so I do think you can look to where are some up and coming communities and niches and topics that you can go and engage with. I think people often think, oh, I just need to create lots of content and put it out mm -hmm. there. And all of a sudden something might hit, but actually the, I think the, the, the best creators have built the strongest communities, both yes. with their audience, but also with other creators in that community as well. And I think the simple thing there is there's no shortcut. It just takes time, time, yes. patience, effort, you know, um, uh, it just, you know, it will, it will take, you know, three years to achieve something that then the next year you'll achieve more than you achieved in three years. It, it accumulates and it snowballs. Um, and I yeah. think you've just got to build, build your reputation in that community and awareness in that community and sort of give back in that sense than just think, Hey, I can just publish. And as long as I keep publishing good stuff, people will come across it and will just start following me. I love the, the point about the community, but also the, the point about being passionate about what you're doing and having a unique standpoint. I feel like those are all really, really great points. And that's when you see people come onto newer platforms like TikTok and just shoot to fame almost seemingly overnight. But I think maybe just one thing I want to share with anybody listening who might not know how they're unique just yet, it takes time to keep putting out content to start to understand what you actually are passionate about, what is unique about you, what differentiates you from others. It's very, very hard to just break into the scene and immediately be a unique creator. That often takes time to to find your voice and everyone takes needs time to also develop the actual skills to tell stories, to create content, either visually or storytelling-wise. So um, it's very, very important to eventually find that. But in the beginning, it's really just communicating with people and putting yourself out there finding your unique voice, um, and over time, it will come. I think that's a solid piece of advice. And, you know, that as, a, as an Englishman, there's a singer called Ed Sheeran, and, you know, he's yes. one of the most famous songwriters at the moment, but he was on a TV interview show, and he played uh, some of his earliest songs. And he was like, these are embarrassing and terrible. And no, I wasn't, you know, the songwriter and musician that I am now. Back then, I had to like run the water and wait for all the dirty water to be completely gone for it to start running pure. And I think you know that is exactly the point that you're making as well. It's 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 no shortcut, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the ones that look like they're a shortcut, sometimes overnight successes look like overnight successes, and they've actually been working at it for a very long time. And of course, sometimes you do get some that are the outliers that have you know overnight, but that's not the that's not the norm. Um, as well so I wouldn't get discouraged. I actually feel like being a creator is a lot more like uh, building a small company. It's a mini company that you're building and companies don't just overnight suddenly make profit um, without constantly putting the word out there or finding customers etc. Um, and there is a lot that I think is parallel to being a business owner or an entrepreneur, which you are exactly. Um, you have started many other businesses as well. Is that right? Yeah, I think Whaler was the ninth business that myself and my co-founder started. Wow. And all the ones before were kind of consumer brands. Wow. So creating products and selling them to consumers. And obviously as part of that, without knowing it, we were marketers because if you don't market what you're doing no one's going to find out about it and then influencer marketing was a huge channel for us yes. and that's kind of how we ended up in in, in this place and even that in itself has been a been a journey to become mm. 
better entrepreneurs now than we ever were before and that journey continues um as yeah well. i know this is quite broad but maybe we can narrow down as we go into this topic but because i think there's so many parallels between being a creator and being an entrepreneur are there some key lessons that you have learned along the way with your nine businesses or any failures along the way that have helped you learn you know certain lessons along the way so many. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. To... This is such <laughs> yeah. a broad question. It's a, it's a, no, but it's a great it's a great question. Um, I think the the first one that comes to mind is focus. Oh, working out what to say no to. I find when we're working on things, and this will this will sound unfair and harsh, but it's it's not meant. The most thing I find myself often telling the team is when they start exploring the fringes is I don't care. Let's focus back on this. I'm glad you told me that and we'll work on that later. But right now, remember that this is the the focus. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of ruthless prioritization against the goals that you're going after and how you spend your time, because ultimately time is often the most precious resource uh, that that you have and it's fixed. Um, So how you spend that becomes so key and it's so easy to wander off spending time in in different things and so really trying to um keep a focus and i think that also comes from you know it's okay to be wrong set some goals set some ideas how to do it and then just go after it for maybe a month or two and then reevaluate but don't reevaluate every day every week that also then doesn't allow you to focus on the on the task and it's okay to then pivot um as you go along so i I think focus is 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 key. I think second is echo chambers can be dangerous. So mm. um, you know it's it's a balancing act because any entrepreneur, any creator starting their career needs to have the stubbornness of resolve to see their goal, their idea through in the face of probably lots of people telling you why it won't work or why they don't think it's good. So. Yes. You know, you have to have that stubbornness, but at the same time, go and speak to other people in the space, learn from them, build a community from them, listen, take it with a pinch of salt, but it just gets you thinking in different ways. I think if you're doing it in complete isolation and not listening to anything, then also you're missing out on on opportunities. And I think the last thing I'll say, because it goes back to that, you know, look at two months at a time and reevaluate. I think where people have gone most wrong is where they kind of write a big plan and then they say, well, at month three, I'm supposed to be at this stage. And it says this on page 15 of the plan. And actually, you know, because we also invest in businesses, you know, I always tell the founders, I promise you it will be a different journey from what you expect. And it will look different in three years time than anything you're expecting now. And all of them come back and say, yes, that was the case, because you want to learn as you go along mm. and, you know, make the right adjustments to yes. find that end place. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's all a balancing act. Um, yeah. And it's getting the right level in all of those to keep going. And there is no easy formula. I think we can draw so many parallels with everything that you just shared with people becoming a creator and starting um, their various platforms. And trying to find that focus is one of the hardest things in the beginning because you have all this information from all different directions, people telling you, you got to be on Be Real or you got to hop on TikTok, you got to do this, do that. And I think people lose focus 
success in terms of what their goals actually are. And they try to work really hard to get a few brand deals in the beginning when it's not even a good fit, when really they should be focusing on building that community or focusing on growing faster and so that they can later on have this stronger sort of online world that is already standing behind them so that it can go further as a career overall. And so our time and resources are limited and there's only so much that we can do, especially when creators are starting out. We, In the beginning, you don't have the resources to hire people. You don't have the budget to be like, you write my blog, you edit my podcast, and then you edit my videos for YouTube. So we really have to be selective. And I think that is a great, great lesson to draw parallels from. Hey, I want to take a moment to say thank you so much for tuning in. If you're enjoying the Full-Time Influencer Podcast, I would really appreciate if you could just take one minute to leave us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Your support really helps us to get seen and continue producing quality interviews and episodes for you. All right, now back to the show. I know we've been talking about more bigger picture direction topics about the creator economy on this in this episode, which is a little bit different from what I normally do with guests where they share like practical tips, etc. But since I have you here, and this is such a rare occasion, um, could I ask you kind of as a personal question, mm-hmm. as a creator who has first started with you know, no followers and then started working with brands and now I have created my own products and they are scaling well, but what is the next step that you see creators doing? I have been thinking about this for a while and I realized that as I build a team, there is more beyond just my personal brand now. And I have hired people to help me extend this to various platforms, but I wonder what the next step is. And I I know that there are many creators who are well ahead of me who probably have figured it out. Some have started hotels. Mr. Beast has his, um, I think it was burger or something. And Mr. Beast burger. Yeah. And so many of these big creators, now that they have so much reach, they can branch out into all these different things. And some people have started softwares. Is there... Do you think this will turn into a whole nother world of creator-started businesses, creator-started software, creator-started food brands, etc., and that will become kind of the future of the creator economy where there's larger businesses that actually started just from a personal brand? And, and how should creators go about thinking about that, I guess, when they're on this journey and of building their personal brand? I think it is completely the, the the future direction of it. And it's kind of, you know, when they talk about businesses, and this word will be confusing for a second, because if I say platform, I think you think TikTok, Instagram, but yeah. platform in a business sense can also mean I'm already really well servicing one consumer group. What else can I service them with? Mm. And that's when you yourself become a platform because to your audience, you're doing more than one thing. And therefore you are leveraging the fact that you're building this audience and you have multiple different ways of, of, of you know, creating an income stream um, through them. I think to answer the question of, of, of what to do, when we're doing um, and expanding things in our business, we, we talk about two things and they kind of mean the same. One is um, where do we have the right to win and where do we have an unfair advantage? Mm. In the sense that where does someone else, if they were going to start this, 
they're not in as advantaged a position as we are because of people we have, contacts we have, audience we have, whatever it may be. And so I would, I would suggest creators look through the lens of like, where do I have a right to win? Where do I have an insight that's unique? What are my audience buying from? And do the things where you think you have a right to win. You can then work towards having a right to win in different areas. But, you know, having a right to win is already an, an advantage step um, that, that helps you. And so, you know, yes, it's about finding something you're passionate about, but if you don't have the right to win, then it might be tricky to do or just not, not as sensible a path to, to yeah. achieve a success. And of course, as I said, getting to scale, that breeds more opportunity, right? Because then you can build a team, you can build a right to win in other areas. But, you know, going back to that idea of ruthless prioritization, ruthlessly prioritize about where you might have the right to win. And from there, go from, go from that. And then start off trying to find 10 customers that will love it and build from that point. I find that very interesting. That's actually a great, great point um, because we often may see other people doing certain things and we are seeing all these creators like this one started a clothing brand, that one started a hotel or this one did certain things. And so, or someone else created another course. And so you feel drawn in all these different directions as if you need to keep up with what everyone else is doing as well but it's really about finding your competitive edge and also the the people that you can really speak to more than those other people can can speak to right finding the difference and then i think there's just also being clever with things so there's a creator called shelby church i don't know if you've come across her but she so she has the that airbnb prophecy Mm -hmm, i forget how she branded it but it was something like something club she's turned but what i thought was really clever about it is you know she's then created products that are in the property and some people then might want to buy into the brand and it's sort of i just thought that was a really clever step from someone who might have just done an airbnb the fact that she went to that level and that's going back to that platform idea how can you create something that can serve people in multiple um in multiple ways and it's okay to start simple. Yeah, that's very interesting. I did follow Shelby Church's YouTube videos about her um, Airbnb and her mention about making it it into a club. And I feel like that might be the future of basically many, many creators. Right now, we don't see that many memberships or subscriptions or little communities. Um, but I do feel like in the future, that would probably be a bigger a more mainstream way for a lot of creators to monetize and build a career out of this beyond like brand deals. Well, and their enter is still early on, still confusing, still noisy, Web3. Because in our Web3 landscape comes the opportunity to build online kind of communities directly with your audience, monetizing directly with them. And, you know, they effectively, you know, it's kind of like, creators getting to do a flotation on the stock market you know hey back me early and you know kind of they have a stock price that changes value you know all these things have to work themselves out still early but i think that's going to be exciting um for the future uh, as well and that goes back to like having a really engaged community is whaler looking to build um tools for creators to get into web3 or nfts that kind of stuff yeah, we're, we're looking at it quite heavily. We've, we've even built a metaverse so that we ourselves are, are playing around uh, in the ecosystem. It's called House of Mempo. You can check it out, mempo, M-E-M-P-O dot X-Y-Z. And so really it's sort of, you know, we've always believed we've got to be practitioners ourselves 
to then be able to help support others in their journey uh, into it. I still think it's really early while there's the volatility in crypto. And one of the things I have liked is that I've seen lots of creators be quite resistant to it because they really value their audience. And that goes back to an engaged audience that really um, trusts you. I think one of the things that's really helpful for creators as well is I think brands understand it's not about just numbers now. And so when brands before just used to only want to buy from massive audiences, brands have now finally cottoned on that actually, you know, don't get me wrong, there's still great opportunities to work with really big influencers, but also great opportunities with much smaller ones uh, in, in niches, or it doesn't even need to be in a niche, right? It's just that you've got yeah. an engaged audience and brands have got that as well. So that makes the opportunity a lot easier uh, to get yes. started now, I think, than ever before. And I think, you know, the notion, as you said at the end, that 10% make 90% of the money, I think that is going to expand and this creative middle class is going to become more and more of an opportunity. And I do think Web3 will play into that. I just think probably not for another 12 months. I think it will be a 2024 kind of starting to maybe become some mainstream um, opportunities. Could you briefly, maybe very simply explain for anybody listening how Web3 could help creators in the future? The thing is, there's so many different aspects to Web3. So let's start off with the metaverse. The metaverse is basically like a 3D website. So you go on a browser, obviously you can go through an Oculus, but you can go through your phone or an internet browser. And instead of it being a 2D website, you enter this 3D world, kind of a bit like the games were in Fortnite and Roblox and all of this stuff. But it's a 3D world. And then in a 3D world are experiential activations because they might put on a party or a show or a gallery. And, you know, people are just experiencing it in that kind of 3D kind of website environment. So if you think about in real life experiential activations, brands will often engage with creators to come to the in real life activation to bring people with them. So I think there's a massive opportunity for creators to do the same in metaverses. And that doesn't mean you have to Mm. have a massive metaverse following or a Web3 following. You already had that, but it's like directing people and engaging. And so just being aware of that, going and exploring metaverses yourself and becoming familiar I just think, again, see it as 3D websites. So mm. I think that's going to be a, a media opportunity, as an example. The the other opportunity in the metaverse is for creators on the more creative spectrum, you know, to build and design artworks that would go on walls and assets. And the same way that creators can create content and publish them on TikTok or Instagram, there's going to be opportunities to create things that end up in the metaverse as well. And so there's going to be a new community of creators that become experts uh, in that, and then people could go to those as well. So I think those are the two main metaverse opportunities. NFTs and we'll put kind of like tokens, coins, all in the same bucket. I think those really represent membership and fundraising opportunities. So you could have a limited number of tokens or NFTs, let's say a thousand that your audience can buy. And by being a token holder, you get access to special content that you produce. You get access to meetups. Maybe when you produce some merch, you get early access to it before anyone else or a discount on it. As you grow, your audience, the value of the the thousand grows with you because if, if more people become aware of you and want to access what people get through that token, through that membership, then the the value of each one of those goes up. 
then your early supporters could keep it or they could sell it mm. to someone else for, for more value. Or maybe there's a renting model where it's like, well, I actually can't go to that meetup, but I could lease it to someone. And, and in the NFT Web3 and token model, the, the, the creator would also get a share each time it's resold yes. or leased. So I think it's going to create these interesting membership opportunities. The challenge now is these things are often linked to Bitcoin or Ethereum, and those prices go up and down all the time. And so, you know, as a project grows and does better, the value might have halved anyway because of the underlying cryptocurrency. So I don't suggest running into this space just yet. Um, a bit of experimentation, I would suggest people experiment by getting involved in other projects. But I think the idea that it could be a way of raising funds from an audience, say, hey, I want to go and do these things. If you'll support me, I'll give you access to these things. And I'm only going to do a thousand of this class that have this group of access. So if I grow and people want access, what you've got will go up in value and you'll benefit from that um, as well. In a way that it's tough for a creator to go to a bank and raise money, for example. So I think this becomes a really interesting way to kind of crowdsource raising money and build membership. Or, for example, I saw a creator, I forget who it was, they did a coffee shop. And they said, buy my NFT, it's going to help me build the coffee shop. You then get discounts in the coffee shop and can come to parties in the coffee shop. So, again, I think it's a really interesting lens for, for raising capital from the audience. But I think all creators know they have to look after that audience and do well by them. Um, but I think, you know, creators know that. And so I think that's a really exciting opportunity. Yeah. Yes, Theory raised, um, uh, used NFTs to raise money for their film that they released because they couldn't have come to terms. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah Project because, Iceman. Yeah. 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 Because they couldn't agree with the people who were, who were going to produce the film on how it was going to be produced. And so then they decided to use NFTs to crowdfund the resources to go ahead with the film, which I thought was very, very interesting. And I guess just one thing that I kind of wanted to comment on is that it's in such an early stage. And like you mentioned, because cryptocurrency is fluctuating so much right now and it kind of relates to the economy. So it's a tricky thing to be investing in. And also I think it's, it's important for uh, people who are investing in creators to understand that you have to really trust this creator to invest in any kind of NFTs or their web three world because you don't have a guarantee of how long they will stay around i don't want to compare it to like a rug pool or anything you mm -hmm. just want to make sure that you are investing in the right creators who have longevity in this space because after all this is a personal brand and they could take their personal brand anywhere they want really in the world in any direction so it's something that i feel like still at the very beginning stages and needs a bit more stability before it can become more mainstream or widely utilized. Well, here comes the other interesting application of this that could come down the line is forget about it from a notion of monetizing an NFT, creating an NFT to make money. Give the NFT for free to the audience and it's kind of like a badge. And at some stage, people's um, online wallet where NFTs and tokens are held is going to become a social media channel in a sense, like it's going to become where you discover what people are following and interested in. So being in someone's digital wallet is going to become a place to get recognized and discovered. So you give it mm. to free to your community, 
but then they get to access content on a website that requires you to have the NFT to get into the other content. And it's a way to drive engagement in the community. And maybe you don't get the NFT for free until you've done these five actions as a member of the audience. And then when you create some merch, it's released in limited edition only to NFT holders. It doesn't have to be about making money from the NFT. Now, if you make it free, then all of a sudden there's no notion of a rug pull or the underlying currency. There's even something called soul bound tokens, uh, which are basically non-transferable. So Mm. you can't even sell it. If I send you this NFT, it's yours. You can never sell it. But with that, you have the identity and you're able to access these things. And so I think having a connection to people's digital wallets is going to become as valuable as having their email address one day Mm -hmm. for marketing and connecting to them. So again, it's all early, but it's exciting. It's going to create a new landscape of opportunity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's one thing about being a creator that is both exciting and actually very daunting because there's just so many possibilities and I feel like everything is within reach but then I'm just one person and I'm trying to reach for everything and I want to accomplish so much and I feel like there's a lot of people who might feel the same and feel overwhelmed with all of the changes that's happening on these various platforms is there a way to overcome this overwhelm and really stay ahead of these trends how can creators go about thinking about all of these changes when it all seems so fast because i know you've weathered this industry for the many many years now and you've seen everything change so drastically how does whaler stay relevant and stay on top of everything that's changing i think you don't have to be first i think sometimes being second is fine and let <laughs> others get the learnings and, and do it when it's right and i think people Do you have to stay on top of every trend and be the first there? I I think that can be too challenging sometimes. And I think, you know, do it when you have a big team. And I go back to, you know, what do you have an unfair advantage in? Just just go back to that focus, write down the places where you think you have a right to win. And it doesn't matter if they're basic. Start there because you've got an unfair advantage and, and, and build from that point. And then I just think we, we have a phrase at Whaler, we kind of have 10 philosophies that go out in the, in the company to help people. But I think one of them is mountains look like molehills in the rearview mirror, which is the idea that, you know, everything that's been a massive challenge felt like this huge mountain to climb. When you get the other side of it and look in the rearview mirror and then these mountains look less, you, you look back on how you overcome those challenges and somehow it doesn't feel often as bad as what you perceived it to be at the start. And you just kind of, that helps you build up the resiliency to you know dispel the noise and just focus on taking it um yeah bit by bit so what is whaler's unfair advantage for us now it's that you know we're a pretty large team i think we're close to 300 people so you know we're a large team of people that are passionate about the creator economy and touching so many parts of it on a day that that now has become an unfair advantage over you know smaller teams can also be a disadvantage right sometimes smaller teams see things and are more nimble and go faster. So it's quite funny how often people's strengths can also be mimicked in um, in weaknesses. I think the, the big thing I've always uh, enjoyed about Whaler is from day one, we knew we had two customers, brands and creators. Mm. I think quite a few people in the space kind of focus only on the brands and the money, but we knew that there was so much support that could be given to creators. And actually, you know, I, I said to someone the other day at dinner, again, being a bit provocative, I said, it's called the creator economy. Brand isn't in the sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. The whole economy is driven by by creators, yeah. and so I think the fact that we have a talent management business that we've been building support for creators to 
to help build the uh, the ecosystem gives us a big unfair advantage as well. Our relationships with the platforms, we're official partners. They're all clients of ours. You know, we all work very closely uh, together is also very helpful. What I have known uh, Whaler to be was always more a, a sort of a supporter of very creative creators. So people who are very focused on creative content or have unique style or a unique voice. That's my impression of, of Whaler, really. And I actually really love that about Whaler. I think the, the nice thing for us is it's always about finding the right opportunity for you. I think, you know, when we started, I was very proud of the fact that creators would turn down nine out of 10 times we took something to them. And I was like, that is how focused the community that we work with are on finding deals that are the right deal for them and not just taking the money for the sake of it and doing work that isn't suitable for them. Actually, it was more of a reflection on we haven't worked out how to bring the right opportunities to the right person. Because mm. fast forward now, and nine times out of 10, they accept the deal we bring them. It's not that they've um, become any more loose on what they accept, it's that we've got that much better at kind of pairing a creator to the right opportunity as well, which I think, again, is part of the advantage um, yes. that, 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 that we have. And you know, I think you, you, you do have to become a practitioner of data. It's a sort of scary thing, but looking at the analytics and really diving into what's working. You know, I think there was that Vid Summit conference this week, maybe over today, but Mr. Beast did a talk and he said, you know, for, for every video, I think they look at 20 different thumbnails and, and test them. Like, you know, there, there's a lot to be learned in data to find small advantages. And sometimes small advances add up to a big difference and so if you find and tweak lots of small little things all of a sudden it's a big difference actually there's a philosophy called kaizen which is one percent improvement every day adds up to a huge amount of improvement in a year so you think how am i going to get here to there well actually just small incremental improvements each day how am i going to do a little bit better today all of a sudden adds up to a lot. Definitely. And also, I wanted to ask, is there a threshold for creators to be part of the Whaler platform in terms of being reached out to by brands? And then also, is there a threshold for potentially being managed by Whaler in case anyone listening is interested? I, I don't think there is any hard thresholds because at the end of the day, it is the quality of audience that they have and the level of engagement and trust that audience has with the creator and i all get, always give people the analogy that you know if if someone is a chef and they're followed by 50 other influential chefs but that's their sole audience that's probably potentially more valuable to yeah. some brands than someone who's followed who's still in the food but followed by a thousand foodies in general if your brand yes. trying to talk to chefs that that chef is probably one of a only a few people that is the right person to to work with. So I think, again, it's more about who the audience are and how engaged they are with you and the, 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 the number doesn't matter. Obviously, the number's a bit of an indicator, but really it's the who they are and how engaged. Absolutely. And so from here, what is the direction that Wheeler is going in in the next few years? I think broadly the exciting thing is, again, I think there was a report maybe last year that said 70% of the income that creators are making are through brand sponsorships. Mm. I think if we fast forward two or three years time, I think it might be 50-50. The interesting wow. thing is I think the 50 from brand partnerships will still be bigger in like monetary size than the 70% is now. And I just think there are going to be all these other things that are opportunities, which are really what we're talking about. Creators 
building stuff and opportunities directly with their audience across yes. more platforms. And so, you know, we're looking to support uh, all of that. I'm also excited for, you know, what, what can creators do? You know, when is an Oscar winning film going to be made by creators? When's a Super Bowl ad solely going to be made by creators? And it's not that winning an Oscar or a Super Bowl ad is the be all and end all, but it's just a demonstration of the creativity and power that this community has. You know, our job at Whaler is to to support all of that and help help make it happen. That is so exciting. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us about all of these interesting topics today, the future of the creator economy, being an entrepreneur, being a creator and all of that. I personally have gotten a lot of insight from this conversation. And if anyone else is interested in finding out more about Whaler, I will link all of the information in our show notes and our description so that you can go check them out. Perfect. Thanks again, Tina. Lovely chatting with you. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to the Full-Time Influencer Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone who could benefit from it. And I'll see you in the next one.